BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, new friends. I'm Jackie Schimmel, philanthropist, motivational speaker, glowing wife, animal rights activist, and a shoulder to cry on. Not really. I'm a crazy bitch, but a hoot and a half. If you haven't listened to my podcast, The Bitch Bible, brace yourself, pour yourself a stiff drink, and get ready to laugh your ass off or cry. Make sure you subscribe yourself to The Bitch Bible Podcast right now. You're going to effing love it. girl. Hey, welcome back to my weekly podcast, Taste of Taylor. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. And today I have a very special guest with me. I am so excited. You guys, basically, this is for me. <laughs> I'm, I was dying to get more information in this area of my life that I'm about to be embarking on. It's something that uh, I've shared a little bit on the podcast and it's something that scares the shit out of me, but I'm about to get married. And the second we walked on the aisle, my fiance say then wife is going to be like bitch we're having babies so joining me today on the podcast is scott brown from california cryobank scott welcome to the podcast thank you taylor thank you so happy to be here and don't worry we'll get through it we'll get you there i promise scott i'm really scared okay i'm like <laughs> uh, uh this has been something that i've been really dragging my feet with my fiance and i as of the summer when we get married we'll have been together for six years okay Luckily, she's a spring chicken, so we're going to just use her as the birthing vessel. I, on the other hand, am a woman of a certain age, so uh, I'm gonna, I have lots of questions for you. And before we get into it, I mean, I'm going to ask you all the questions. Like, you are the uh, aficionado on all things, you know, my future children, just so you know, okay? No pressure there, but great, yes. <laughs> so feel free to be like... Girl, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm, I got some whoppers for you is my point, okay? So <laughs> I apologize in advance is basically what I'm trying to get to. Scott, first things first, um, what is your job exactly with California Cryobank? So my role with California Cryobank is really just to sort of oversee the client experience. We want to make sure that everyone is getting everything they need from us, not just specifically with the donors, but also understanding the website, having all the information they need. I do a lot of public speaking. We host seminars. Uh, it used to be live back in the day when you could do things in person. Now it's it's all virtual for the time being. Of uh, course. We work with physicians to make sure they understand what we have to offer. Uh, with the nurses are very important in this process, which anybody going through it will, will vouch for. It's your nurses, be nice to your nurses. That's the key. Be nice to the nurses. Yes. 
and uh, overall just make sure our client service team has all the answers and, and can do everything possible to help everybody have their families. So when you're working with California Cryobank, it's not just like I go in, I pick the sperm, and then it's like bye-bye, see you later. Like you guys are really a hand-holding experience is what I'm hearing? Absolutely. You know, so many people who go through this process have come into it with no information at all. Why would you? Whether you are a heterosexual right. couple with infertility issues, which you never imagined, whether if you're a same-sex couple and planning this family that you you don't even know how to start, or a single parent by choice and and just had never planned on this, but now this is the, the direction your life has gone. So we have all this experience and we have all these answers and all this information for people. Oftentimes we sort of know the answers to questions they don't even know they have yet. And so we right. really want to be there to walk you through the process, to talk to you about uh, your different options in insemination, to talk to you about how to find the right doctor for you in your area, to talk to you about your choices between doing an at-home insemination or working with a physician in their office or going to a more uh, expensive invasive IVF procedure. Right. Um, and then all the other stuff that goes along with the donor selection process. Damn, okay, we're talking about at-home insemination. I have that written down. We're going to get there. Put a pin in that one, Scott, okay? Sure. Yeah. So first things first, I just want to take you on a little bit of journey of our love in our life. So like I said, six years, she's been itching for babies. I mean, she has, her ovaries are screaming for children. I, on the other hand, um, I like to say this. Don't judge me. I like to say, I'm Taylor. Her name's also Taylor. We like to keep it real simple slash confusing. I like to say, I love my Taylor more than I love not having children. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, my ovaries aren't screaming. I will say recently, more out of nowhere, I've been kind of going crazy for babies. My friends, a bunch of my friends just had babies. And I'm that baby content on Instagram has really been... Um, softening this heart of mine. So I'm I'm getting much more comfortable with the idea. I will say that working with you guys actually kind of opened up the conversation for real with my fiance and I because my best friend from literally kindergarten, he is now in a same-sex relationship. I am in a same-sex relationship. So the last time we saw each other a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I was like, oh my God, we should be my baby daddy. And like, we can kind of, I mean, we were in love when we were in kindergarten. So this is kind of a way of having like a bigger family. And he was like, you know what? I'm actually down with that. And I was really seriously considering it. He's handsome. These are the important things in order. He's handsome. He's tall. He's smart. He's a Harvard professor. He went to Harvard. I mean, the man can speak Malagasy, okay? So it's like this guy is, and he's funny, and he's fabulous, and all of the great things, and I adore him. And my fiance was like, oh, hell no. And I was like, excuse you. And she was like, yeah, I would want a friend to donate their sperm, but I would never want to donate my eggs. And I was like, hello, selfish. And she was like, I really want our kids to be ours. And she's like, I know this sounds whatever, maybe unfair she said but I because she has a lot of nephews and she's so I think she under I don't have any because I'm the oldest in my family so I think she understands that kind of love that you have for a child and she's like I just don't want to run into any complications down the road and if you know the sperm donor it could actually get complicated so I have to ask you Scott you know what is the difference between using somebody that you know versus using a sperm bank so complications and she hit it I mean Taylor too really really nailed it there yeah. It can certainly work. And lots of people opt to start their families using a what we call a known donor, somebody who is personally known to them. And sometimes it's a friend from back in the day. Sometimes it's someone they've met specifically for the purposes of being a donor. Sometimes it's a work colleague. You know, it can be 
all sorts of different scenarios. But the challenges begin when you start to realize you're dealing with a human being who has yeah. emotions, who has his own family, who whose position in life may change over the course of the next 10, 15, 18 years. And just because the, the planets align perfectly right now that you both feel like you want the same thing and have the same expectations for this relationship, that doesn't mean that those things won't change. And so if this person decides one day that he wants to be more involved in your child's life than you had anticipated or less involved, uh, if he has kids of his own, if his family, he may have a mom, even if he doesn't consider himself a dad, his mom may say, think, that's my grandbaby. I'm going to be there right. for birthdays, for graduations, for christenings, for bar mitzvahs. For, um, I mean, there's a whole list of things that can go on. You may want to move one day and take the child far away from him. And, you know, that's a challenge sometimes. So it, it can get very complicated. When you use a sperm bank, you eliminate all that. You have yep. an individual who is willing to donate his sperm to help you start your family, but will have nothing to do with you or your child. Now, there are options to make contact later in life with that donor, but that cool. is really something that the child will decide once they reach 18 if that's what they want to do, but it's not to fulfill a parental role. It's not, right. you know, financial commitment, anything like that. And so, you know, really... Choosing a person that you're going to have attached to you at the hip, literally, for the rest of your child's life it is a big leap and can lead to complications. Yeah. Have you ever seen The Kids Are All Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a terrifying movie for lesbians, let me tell you. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> was Mark Ruffalo a sperm donor in that? Or was he a partner from the past? I cannot remember. I've blocked it out of fear. He was a sperm donor, but they then got involved with one of the moms. Oh, oh did oh, oh, Scott. I remember that part. That oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, he was he was a sperm donor. Actually, California Crowbank, the the people who made that movie came to us and used a lot of our materials. No so they're like they're like thumbing through all the stuff. That's like our stuff they were thumbing through. How can you ensure to me that that's not going to happen to me? <laughs> How do I keep my sperm donor away from my beautiful wife? I, you know, that is the million-dollar question. I <laughs> Good luck. It's what you signed up for. So when it comes to sperm donors, though, and, you know, I'm joking, but I'm also psychotic and not joking. So, you, I mean, I would like to choose the option for our child because I think it's important for a child if they want to meet, you know, somebody who is biologically a part of who they are that of course they can do that when I believe they're 18 years old. And of course, their decision, I, I, you know, are there sperm donors who actually never want, you know, like, is that a category, sperm donors who do not want to ever be contacted? I mean, is that something you have to specifically seek out if you want that option for your child when they turn 18? So there's definitely a range, not only within California Crowd Bank, but within the industry itself. So if you use another sperm bank, this will be slightly different answer to this question. But Currently, all new donors in our program are what we call ID disclosure, meaning that they are signing consent that once any offspring reaches 18, we will not only connect them, but we will provide their contact information directly to the offspring. Wow. Going back now, once sperm is on ice, it stays good forever. So we can have donors on our catalog that finished being part of our program five or 10 years ago, back when we had what we call an anonymous donor option. And essentially what that meant was they weren't committing to anything, but once the offspring reached 18, they could contact us and we would reach out to the donor and facilitate contact back and forth. It would remain anonymous until both parties wanted otherwise. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, a donor had the ability to say, you know what? No, I don't want anything to do with the offspring. Now it doesn't, more times than not, we can get the donors 
in that situation to agree to some form of contact, email, a letter, something like that. Sometimes it's just simply saying, you know, answering questions that the, the, the child provides for us and uh, with a note, something, you know, it was really nice to get to know you a little bit. And I appreciate knowing you're out there, but I have my own family and you have your own family. And this is the only contact I can have with you. Now that goes all the way, runs the gamut to the child and donor becoming family, you know, interacting directly one-on-one. I mean, it can be whatever both parties want it to be. We consider our job to help create families, not relatives. Relatives is a genetic term, somebody okay. you are genetically related to. You are not genetically related to your fiance or wife, but she will be or is the most important person in your life until you have a child. Exactly. Yeah. One of you will not be biologically related to your child. That does not mean you are any less family or parent than a donor who provides genetic material to help that child become a reality. So we are about family, not relatives. I could cry. I mean, because this is the thing is I always say like, again, joking, not joking. I'm like, when we have child, like I'm like, I'm a selfish bitch, okay? I can barely take care of me. And also I don't like sharing my money and kids steal your money. So I'm like, I would like, and also because of the way that we have to get pregnant, it costs money. So I'm like, okay, so we can have one and we'll see from there. So I've promised one, but I told her like, we gotta gotta compromise with me, okay? Cause I like Chanel bags. So (laughs) she's like, I think you'll like babies more, but her dream is I'm like let's start with one and see where we go so with that being the case we will start with her egg she's younger you know I I just think for all and also she would be so sad not to have a biological connection to a child so I said we'll do yours first I'm gonna have to definitely freeze these old ass eggs of mine these are like green eggs and ham over here okay <laughs> but I will I am going to freeze these things like yesterday Good. all right that would be my and next question before okay then we'll have the option for that um but her dream is to do like a dual implant Implantation. I made that's the wrong. That's not the right word. Is that a word? Implantation. Implanting. Yeah, transfer. So we talk. So use her eggs, but you carry and vice versa. Or what do you? What do you? You know what's so funny, Scott? So literally, I she was like, and initially she was like, it'd be fun if like you know we maybe carried each other's to bond. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, great, I love that. And she was like, actually, you've like lived. I really don't know that I want my baby in your bond. <laughs> <laughs> That says a lot about me. So she's basically, I think I'm the kind of woman that's totally fine never being pregnant. My mom had three kids. I was the oldest. My brother and I are like 11 years apart. I saw how sick she was. I'm not interested, okay? Like it was just like, I I, I think I can be a happy one without carrying a child and delivering a child. So other Taylor, Taylor 2 is going to do all that literal heavy lifting. But she loves the idea of carrying both of ours at one time. We have friends of the family who are doctors. Some of them are actually in like, uh, like they specialize in IVF, lucky us. Um, but people have kind of mentioned that that's maybe not the best idea it's, in the world. Yes, it's the human body, while twins are certainly a possibility, is not designed for multiple births. Yes. And anytime you have a multiple pregnancy, there's increased risk. Certainly once you go past twins, it gets exponentially more dangerous for the, both the mother or the, the, the individual caring, uh, as well as the children themselves. Yeah. Um, twins tend to be born early, undersized. Um, they're just more complications. Um, not to mention, you haven't had one yet, believe me, one is 
a ton of work. So, you know, going for two at once is, you know, you may love an extra large pizza, but you don't want to have to eat two of them at one sitting. Like, Oh, well, when we're talking pizza, Scott, I mean, yeah. yes, I do. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I think the process would be called reciprocal IVF or co-maternity. Sometimes people call it, and that's mm -hmm. when you you take the egg from one individual, uh, create the embryo in the lab, and then transfer that embryo into the to the recipient, who will then carry and, and uh, birth the child. Um, very common, not uh, not significantly more expensive than traditional IVF, a little bit more, uh, mm -hmm. but but something that can certainly be done. But I would recommend spacing them out a little bit and not having two infants at one time from personal so experience then, i just have one and she was more than enough yeah right well that's the thing so maybe so I was, yeah okay so we can consolidate on that it, it's interesting because you know i think when people think of introducing science into this it's kind of like oh my god you can have designer babies like you can pick the eye color and the hair color and the gender and the sexuality but like you can't really right you can't it's a yes and no. So the science is there for a lot of that. Certainly gender, absolutely. Um, really? Eye color and hair color is possible, but nobody will really do it. It's it's very frowned upon in the medical community. And even gender selection, unless you are unless you've had four girls, and this is our last try, and we're going for a boy. Um, but what the re so no one will, will tell you that they will do it. But the reality is, when you're going through IVF. You create these embryos in a lab and then let those embryos grow for three to five days and they do a biopsy and test the embryos to make sure they're chromosomally normal and that's wow. why ivf uh, success rates are so high because you're you're transferring a healthy embryo you know has a chance versus a lot of embryos which are abnormal and end up in a, in a spontaneous loss so when they look at those embryos they know what gender those embryos are now they're not technically going to say, do you want a male embryo or a female embryo? They're going to say, we have three embryos that are an A and two embryos that are a B. And so they rank them. Not that a B can't become a healthy child, but, and they'll say, is there any specific one of these embryos? Look at this list. And then on the list, it's going to tell you what the gender is. And you'll say, oh, embryo three looks really good to us. Okay, <laughs> we'll transfer embryo three then. So yes, if you're really interested in choosing a gender, you would have to go through IVF. It can't be done at the at-home insemination or, or IUI level. Uh, but right. it is definitely possible and, and happens fairly regularly. Okay, Scott, so let's go through our options for myself and Tay-Tay. Okay, so we know we want a baby, right? We want a baby in, uh, let's say we want to start trying, getting everything ready in two years. Where do we start? So I already know we love California Cryobank. You guys have the cream of the crop of the spermies, and we'll talk about that more in detail in a little bit. The creme de la creme de la creme. De creme de la creme de la creme. I mean, where do you find these fabulous guys? It's like online dating, except you don't ever have to see a penis. It's great. <laughs> so um, it's a really difficult process, uh, believe it or not. We have labs all over the country. We're in New York. We're in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We're oh. up in Palo Alto. Uh, oh, yeah. in, oh, smart places. I'm Los here Angeles, for good right? Yes. yes. So traditionally, California Cryobank has been around since 1977. And initially, you were really relying on universities and university newspapers for all the advertising. So we mm -hmm. planted ourselves near high-quality universities like UCLA and Harvard and MIT and Stanford. Stanford. And I know. I am an education snob. I did not go to an Ivy League school, but my parents wanted me to. So I know all about that. There you I'm go. very you gotta be a snob when it comes to your sperm. Hello. <laughs> so that's only the beginning of the process. So 
our banks are in places where we have a lot of sort of high achieving individuals. Um, nowadays, there's a lot more online advertising. So things like Craigslist and Facebook ads are really what generate the majority of our donor applications. But essentially less than 1% of the applicants actually qualify to become sperm donors because we're not just looking at, you know, requiring university education. We have a height minimum, particularly for Caucasian donors. What's the height? What's the height minimum? Five, five, ten. Can you get, can you pick height specifically? Can you pick a height? Yes, you can pick a height. You can pick, there's a million, we'll get to that in one second. Okay. Jump in the gun here. Okay, sorry, I'm so excited. The process, so you, you know where, this, where these guys are coming from, no yes. pun intended. Yes. <laughs> Not only do we require them a certain height and educational background, they go through a battery of tests. Obviously, they have to have super sperm. It's got to be in the top 15 to 20% of the general population in terms of the volume of sperm they create, the motility, the morphology, meaning the shape of the sperm. They have to be healthy. Uh, they have to go through, obviously, blood work to make sure they're not carrying communicable diseases. They have to go through examinations with doctors. We do a psych screening with a PhD psychologist to make sure it's fully, uh, they're fully consented. They understand exactly what's going on and what will happen with their, with their sperm and what the future implications of being a donor today mean. Uh-huh. Uh, so that all goes into it. We look at three generations of their family medical history, Damn. looking at things like early onset heart disease, different yep. types of cancer, different uh, other psychological issues. So uh, there's a, a huge amount of energy on our part that go into getting these guys through the process. And now, like I said, less than 1% will actually qualify. And so that's a lot. We go through 14, 17,000 applications a year just to get to the couple hundred guys per year we add to the catalog. Wow. So they are like the Harvard of sperm donors. Oh, like 10% of people get into Harvard to apply. Less than that get into cryobank. Like we're harder to get into than Harvard. Fuck yes. Okay. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I have to ask, and I don't know if you can even answer this, but like what kind of a guy donates? What kind of a guy is drawn to this? Do they get paid a lot of money? Is it more of kind of like almost like these are just really good guys that just want to help people out? Like what is like what attracts them to sperm donations? They're all unique individuals, so I don't want to lump them into one category, but I will say that it is a combination of certainly an altruistic element, like they know they're doing something that's good for the world. Some have personal experience, have an aunt who is uh, in a relationship or had infertility issues and and have some experience there, so they want to be supportive and helpful. Um, You know, they're, they're mostly in their early 20s and most young 20 year olds are optimistic and want to make the world a better place. And, you know, Tom's shoes and, you know, things like that. Got it. Yep. Um, Right. So, so their hearts are in the right place. Uh, Many of these guys have uh, student loan debt and this is a great way. They make about a hundred dollars per donation. So it's not a ton of money Yes. and it's a lot of work to get through the qualification process, but you know, it's, it's a great way to make some money, do a good thing for the world and really help people out. So the vast majority of our donors are coming, you know, in sort of that nature. They wouldn't do it for free. But you know what I always say is no one would do it for free. Everybody would do it for a million dollars. Of course. You gotta find that balance of people that are in it for the right reasons, but still are trying to, you know, better themselves as well. Well, that actually makes me feel even better because if it was like a huge amount of money, it would kind of be like that could be the driving force. But it seems like given that price point, like that it, it they are altruistic. You know, that is like a I mean, my little brother, he went to Harvard and he's in medical school now. I know. I actually was like, yo. What if I use your sperm? So then the baby is biologically connected to me. And then my dad was like, my dad's like hardcore Bostonian. He's like, he was like, um, like with his Boston accent, like, I think that might get confusing around the holidays, you know? And I was like, well, 
And he was like, Zach, you, gotta, you better think long and hard before you do this. And, his, and he was like, what about your wife someday? And I was like, dad, shish. But, you know, we did kind of talk about it, though. But I actually feel like my brother, while not wanting to donate to us, because I think that could be like being the the dunkle, the dad and uncle could be confusing. Yeah. I definitely feel like I could see him now going and being a donor for other people because of what it do- did for myself and my tailor, you know, like he's that yeah. kind of a guy. The, the dunkle thing, it, it definitely can get complicated. I mean, you know, in a wor- you know, worst case scenario, he has different opinions on parenting than you do that you oh, never realize. so opinionated. The, the time, there you go, exactly, right? Because you and your brother have always agreed on everything your entire life. Yeah, sure. right? And also, not to lie, but I think he had a little crush on Taylor when he first met her. So, you know, crazy things can happen in families. I'm just saying. So I'd rather also keep that at bay as well. So, yeah, back... Yeah, we, we, we've, seen, we've discussed the movie already. It's, yeah. That's... Yes, yes, exactly. It's like, let's shoot a movie except Mark Ruffalo is your brother. Oh, my God, forget it. I can't, my brain's exploding. We're going with sperm donation. Then what are the next steps? I mean, so obviously we have to pick sperm, but like, do we have to freeze eggs like now? The other question is because you guys are California Cryobank and we're here in New Jersey, is it like a big process to get out to California? Do you have locations all over the place? Like, how does that work? So we have locations all over the place, but we ship, we use FedEx. Damn. Uh, So uh, we are one of the West Coast's largest FedEx customers because... We ship sperm in a tank. It's like the size of maybe a large fire extinguisher. Wow. You can imagine how big that would be. Yeah. Like from, you know, white student. And those tanks can hold the sperm frozen for a minimum of seven days. And so we ship literally all over the world. We ship to um, Australia and Israel and the UK and, and, and every state in the US. And so if you live near one of our facilities, and we have one in New York and Midtown Manhattan. Nice. You could actually use either a local courier to get your sperm, or you can actually stop by and pick it up on your way to the doctor. That's fine as well. However, if you live in Atlanta or Montana or someplace we don't have a facility, we just use FedEx and we ship it to you and you get it in two days. So it doesn't matter. California Ground Bank is where we are, not where you need to be. Great. So all the sperm is going to come from Los Angeles, from us to you via FedEx. Typically, you would ship it directly to your doctor if you're going to be doing an insemination at the doctor's Mm -hmm. office. So you don't have to be, because you got to be home to sign for it and that kind of stuff. Of course. And it's a tank that does a round trip. So that tank comes back to us as well. So the shipping fees include both your outbound shipment and the return shipment on the tank. Um, In terms of like the donor selection process, you go to our website, cryobank.com. You open a free account and you can start looking right away. There's some paperwork you have to sign. There's an agreement, you know, a customer agreement. There's a contract or a form that your physician would have to sign if you're going to be using a doctor there's a separate form if you're going to do an at-home insemination you would sign basically authorizing yourself can we talk about this what is this at-home insemination it sounds very romantic and i'm here for it (laughs) well i guess the romantic level i mean you could have a you know put on the Commodores and crack a bottle of wine, I guess, if you wanted to, but, um, or what's that? I'm I'm old. I I grew up in the Commodores. My mom, huge fan. No, you're speaking my language. Totally. Okay. Good. Sail on. (laughs) So, uh, you know, if you want to take care of this process at home, it's, it's done all the time. I mean, it's sort of like the Turkey baster method. If you want to, you know, get colloquial on it. Yeah. And essentially what happens is you order your specimen, we ship it to your home. It will come with instructions, and it's a fairly straightforward process. Basically, the sperm the sperm comes frozen in a vial, and the vial is about the size of like half your pinky. Right. Uh, it's very small, and you you 
put the vial out uh, on a countertop or maybe into a cup of room temperature water. Uh, you never want to make sperm hot or even warm. You want it to be room temperature. And you would get that uh, frozen specimen down into basically a liquid form. So when you rock the vial back and forth, you see it sloshing around. We send you a little syringe and you would stick the syringe in and you, you aspirate out and you pull out the sperm. And uh, timing is everything. Now right. I should say that, let me take one step back. Regardless of what the process is, timing is everything. The average woman has a window of 24 to 48 hours yep. a month yep. during your cycle that you can't even get pregnant. Right. So if you miss that window, if you're late with the sperm or the sperm gets there two days early and dies out, you can't get pregnant. It's actually really, really hard to get pregnant. And you don't realize that until you're focused on yeah. nothing but getting pregnant. Yes. So you got to get a timing right. And the advantage to working with a physician in their office is you're going to have that timing as dead on as humanly possible. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't time it yourself at home. It just means that you have to be very conscious of that. And if you have a very regular cycle, that's not difficult to do. If you have a very irregular cycle, sometimes you ovulate after 28 days, sometimes it's 31 days, sometimes you miss a cycle. You really have to know what's going on with your body. Otherwise, you're just throwing money away. And that's the last thing anybody wants you to be doing. Right. You can do a workup with your OB. You can have some very basic blood work done before you decide to get pregnant. You just walk in the door and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting pregnant. Can we, can we do some work? And there's some very basic tests that can tell you your, uh, your ovarian reserves, that can tell you if your hormones are in balance, that can help you make sure there's not something preventing you from getting pregnant. Right. There's some um, more invasive tests they can do uh, to look and make sure that your uh, fallopian tubes are clear. Um, if you have a history of fibroids or have had uh, an appendectomy or any, there's a, there's a list of things that can prevent pregnancy from being as easy, prevent, prevent pregnancy from occurring, basically. Right. Uh, so you want to check in with the doctor just to make sure, because again, it's going to cost you roughly a thousand dollars per try at okay. home. Okay. And so, and insurance covers even if you don't have fertility coverage in your insurance plan. Almost all insurance, I and I say almost because yeah. there must be one that doesn't, but we'll cover basic blood work, like it's, it's a copay, like, right? Just get the blood work done, right? So you know your timing is right. You have your specimen there. You aspirate it into this little syringe. Now it's a difficult process. Like the sperm is in this little tiny vial and you're trying to get out and you want to get every last drop out of there because you don't want Michael Phelps sitting in the bottom of that vial. No, go Michael, go swim. This is your destiny. Swim. Come on. And then the, the, the syringe is inserted right up to the base of the cervix and the sperm's released. And then the sperm fights like hell through the cervix, which is the body's natural filter to protect you from all the things that shouldn't be getting into your body, yep. all the way up to the top of the uterus, right near the fallopian tube, and then hopefully into the fallopian tube, finds an egg, fertilizes, that egg eventually drops down, implants in the uterus, and you're pregnant, right? So all that sounds really easy, except all that isn't really easy. Right. You're doing an at-home insemination. Age is only a number, but it's the only number we have to go with. We gots to. And so the older you are, the more difficult this process becomes for a number of reasons. What's old in pregnancy world? Because I know my friend was like pregnant in her late 30s and they referred to her as geriatric pregnancy. Which Geri yeah, 35 and up, they call too. it geriatric pregnancy. My wife was 37. She did not appreciate that term. <laughs> Let me tell you. 35 and up. Okay. Yeah, so 35 and up. This young spring chicken, we got a couple more years with until she's 35. So actually, we could viably do, and I don't want to sound like a cheapskate beat skate, but I actually think the at home's probably the less expensive of all the alternatives, right? 
It's a great way to start. If you have insurance coverage, and you should look into that and make sure that you don't, because then that opens some opportunities to you. And a lot of insurance coverage is based on, and it goes state by state and yes. plan by plan. So don't, please, anybody listening, check what your specific situation is. But in many instances, the insurance requires you to try a certain number of inseminations, let's say five or six, and if those aren't successful, then IVF coverage kicks in. Gotcha. And so awesome. you want to make sure that you're doing whatever you're going to need to do to eventually have the insurance kick in and make sure you know, oh, if we'd gone through a doctor, then it would have counted, but that didn't count because there was no, you know, you just want to double check your own situation. So this old yeller, that's me. I got to freeze my eggs because I'm going to be... You know, let's just say I'm a woman of a certain age, okay? We'll leave it at that. But I know that just from the numbers you gave, I'm over 35, so I really should freeze these puppies, you know, because they're just, every day is just entering a battlefield, right? Yes. Yeah. At at 25, if you have two healthy individuals, uh, there's about a 15 to 18% chance of success in any given month that they will get pregnant. Now, that's having intercourse as often as you want to, free sperm, no rush, but really the numbers are 15, 18, or 20% at the, at the best. Wow. By the time, and those numbers stay pretty consistent up until roughly 35. And at 35, you start to see a slight drop off. Okay. And then at 40, you see a more significant drop off. Now, well, we all know people who got pregnant at 40 yeah. through traditional conception, yes, right? They, yes. It certainly can happen. When you're saying, you know, you have a three to 5% chance of success after 40, that means lots of people got pregnant after 40 but yeah. lots of people did, yeah right everybody's situation is different so i hate to discourage people but if you have the opportunity to freeze eggs at any point you're always better off because young is always better than old exactly. women have all the eggs they will ever have in utero you have the most eggs you'll ever have in utero once you're born by the time you're born a third of your eggs are already gone oh, by the time nature you hit, is cruel scott by the time you it is by the time you hit puberty another big chunk of your eggs are gone and menopause is essentially once you stop ovulating because you have run out of eggs. But those eggs are very large cells. It's the largest cell in the human body. And those cells decay over time, just like everything else, like our skin or anything. You know, we all get old, saggy, right? So men produce sperm constantly forever until they die. So that sperm is always 24 to 48 hours old. Eggs are as old as the individual carrying them. And the biggest challenge in pregnancy is having a chromosomally normal egg fertilize and have that embryo implanted. If that egg is not chromosomally normal, it's probably gonna end in a spontaneous loss. And you won't necessarily know why, but that happens a lot of times, or the pregnancy won't occur at all, it won't fertilize at all. And so the older you get, the percentage of good, healthy eggs you have goes down and down and down. Mm-hmm. And so every month you're basically ovulating, uh, let's say you're creating these follicles, uh, which open up and then one or sometimes maybe two eggs pop out, and that's why you would potentially have twins because, uh, you know, two eggs have dropped down and both fertilized. Right. Um, that that would be identical twins are when one egg splits and uh, fraternal twins are when you have two separate eggs that are fertilized simultaneously. Gotcha. There's a tie. So every month you are not only have the egg or two that make it out, but you have the, you know, eight or dozen or so eggs that never reach full maturity and get basically absorbed back into your body. But those eggs are gone forever. So you're really burning through a dozen or two dozen eggs per month your whole life that's why when people donate their eggs when you're an egg donor and they take 
18 eggs out, it's not doing any harm. Those are the eggs that would have been gone. Anyway, fascinating. So now once we start this journey with you, can you guys kind of point us in the direction of the different steps that we need to take? Like what's step one, choosing the sperm or step one, like getting all those like that, like checklist taken care of? So step one is open the account, and you should open the account in the name of the individual who's going to be actually using the sperm, the recipient. Because think about it like a medical record. You want to make sure the right person's name is. A lot of times, like, one wife will open the account, but then her, her wife is going to carry, or even we'll have husbands who open the account in their name. Right. And what, so you open it in the name of the person that's going to be using the sperm. If it's going to be reciprocal IVF, like I discussed, and one person's eggs and the other person is going to be carrying, it yes. should be in the name of the person carrying who's going to have their name on the account. Okay, so then then Taylor too. She's she's on the account, period, end of story. Taylor too is on the account. Yes. Uh, there, like I said, there's the, the things you have to sign. That can be done over time, but it can't hurt to get it out of the way and have it done. Yes. Just so you're not worrying about it. And then you start your search. And that search can take you five minutes or it can take you five years. We have roughly 350 donors on the catalog right now. That number's a little low because during COVID, we stopped taking donors. So right. we're going to work our reserve back up. You're going to go to the website, you're going to look at our, our search page, and you're going to see a list of filters, height, weight, eye color, hair color, ethnic background, blood type, hair type, education. I mean, there's a, you know. Hair type. Has hair. That's my hair type. Has hair. <laughs> okay. Well, good. So once you have, you know, sort of a general idea, you don't want to be too specific because 350 can get down to zero pretty quick if you click nine different boxes. You know, we want we wanted a Jamaican Irish with blue eyes and gray hair is going to be, you know. So you start checking off boxes and that 350 list slowly compresses based on the number you check. You say we want brown hair. Well, 350 pops down to 250. And then you say we want green eyes and 250 becomes maybe 17. And then you say we want uh, 5'11 to 6'2, and that becomes 6 or whatever that is. You're going to see photos. Every donor has a childhood photo available to him. Uh, so you're going to see what the donor looked like as a child. Doesn't mean that's what your child will look right. like. That just means that's what this individual looked like. Right. And then for many of the newer donors, you're also going to have the option to see adults. Yes, yes. Very important. It is very important, but it can be misleading. We don't all, all photograph the best and you know like i hate it sometimes people go strictly by the adult photos and you know everyone's looking for jason momoa and it's like Look. oh my god my that's my fiance's ball pass she was just watching aquaman today there you go see <laughs> there you go but you're yeah. saying don't just pick don't just pick on vanity like let's not be crazy here i i get that instinct and it's very it's very easy to swipe left swipe right kind of thing oh yeah but these guys put a lot of effort into their profiles and there's so much great stuff you get to hear about their likes their dislikes their talents their relationships with their families their favorite music if they like to cook are they athletes are they funny are they smart are they deep thinkers like there's audio interviews you get to hear their voices you get to you get to read essays they've written and see art projects they've done come on it's 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 incredibly exhausting it's gonna be more you're gonna know more about your donor than you really probably know about taylor at this point like it is very Question for Taylor. Do we get to know what their favorite football team is? Because we've got an Eagles fan in this household, and it's not me. <laughs> Often, well, sorry about Carson Lentz. Oftentimes, I'll get rid of a um, boo. Hiss. Keep gone, 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 gone. 
so if, if that's something that's important to the donor and he chooses to mention it in his profile, then absolutely. We don't specifically ask them. We do say, like, what language did you speak? We don't say, what's your favorite football team? How sick, how sick is it? Like, I swear to God, if there's a guy that's like, you know, E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles, she will be like, that's the guy. I'm not, I'm not right. even joking. Well, maybe in his photo, if he's got his face painted half green and half white. No, not that guy. No. Yeah. Oh, that's hysterical. So, but there are, one of the things we ask them is what sports do you like to watch? What sports do you like to participate in? Yep. So specifically football, then you can look for guys who like football. Amazing. Amazing. Do we get to know what they do for a living? Not that it's important. I'm just nosy. So there is a work history. It's, we try to be not overly specific because we don't want people tracking these individuals down. Yes. But yeah, you get a work history is in the extended profile. Sure. Well, do we get to know like where they grew up? Many of them are still students though. Keep that in mind. They're young guys. True. So they're not, like, they're not going to be super successful bankers because they're only 22. Where they grew up and where they live now? Yes? No? No, that's for, for privacy sake. Basically, I, yeah. we, don't, we don't provide that information. Sometimes they'll mention like East Coast or West Coast, or I grew up in a small town, and the most exciting thing I did was go on a road trip cross country to see the boat. So you get, you get a sense of who they are. Yes. You know, not specifically New York or LA, but small town, big city guys. Here's my question, too. For each sperm donor, is there like a limit of how many people they can donate to? Yes. Interesting. So our maximum goal would be 25 to 30 family units worldwide. So you and Taylor are one family. If you want one kid, I mean, you want one kid, she wants four. Whatever that number is, that's totally up to you guys. Right. But we're going to limit the total number of families. Now, that number can vary because depending on the donors, some donors are more popular. Some donors have more vials because they stay in the program uh, a little bit longer. Some guys leave the program early, so it can vary. Um, although we have a uh, shortage of African-American donors, some of those donors do reach their, their maximum uh, family units just because we don't have enough African-American donors. And if there are any potential donors out there listening, please check us out. We would love to have more yes. donors of every ethnicity, minority, yes. whatever, um, but particularly African-American. We desperately need, the community needs support. Yes. Um, so 25 to 30 is the is the goal. Okay. And then how do I make sure that my future child doesn't marry their half sibling? Well, <laughs> number one, <laughs> uh, your child will know they were donor conceived. Okay. As do most, roughly 80% of our clients are same sex couples or single parents. Uh -huh. And so all those kids obviously know they were donor conceived. Right. And many heterosexual couples also are very open and sharing with their offspring. That's what, with their children, that's what psychologists recommend. It's sort of like, think about adoption, like telling kids they were adopted right. is really much more healthy, open honesty in the household kind of thing. And so if your child knows they were donor conceived, the assumption would be anyone they met who was also donor conceived that's would like know it as well. And they would hopefully have a conversation. And at worst, maybe you meet the future in-laws, you pull them aside and say, hey, just out of curiosity, did you guys happen to use California Crowd Bank? Because we, you know, and do we get uh, to carry his like number around in our, in our wallets at all times? Uh, you'll probably remember it, right? But, yeah, right. You can, do that. you can have you can have it uh, available to you. Probably wouldn't wouldn't hurt. I've heard of one story ever. I've been with the company about fifteen years, and there were two girls who were freshmen at Tulane in New Orleans. Uh, this was God, probably ten years ago now. And they were freshmen uh, in the same dorm, 
and they're on the same floor and they just happen to strike up a conversation and hello, where are you from? Well, I'm from San Diego. I'm from LA. Well, I'm donor conceived. Oh my God, I'm donor conceived. What was your donor number? Wait, that sounds familiar. No. Mom, they called the mom and it turned out they were both from the same donor from across the country. Sisters. That was literally the first thing they figured out about each other. So it wasn't like even if they wanted to get romantically involved, that wouldn't have been known from the get-go. Right. So I've never heard of the story of this happening. I think more likely is there are all these websites out there and donor sibling registries where kids can actively seek their half siblings out oh. and put themselves into a situation where they're meeting 10 or 12 of their half siblings. Yes. And I think any type of relationship is going to be struck up that way. Oh, so. that's so sweet. Okay. Now to the nitty gritty cost. How much? Hit me with it. Uh, let's roughly a thousand dollars per vial. Okay. Um, and then if you're going to introduce IVF, it gets more expensive for freezing the eggs. Yes. Yeah, that's so that's the just the sperm. So if you're going to do an at-home insemination, that will be essentially your basic costs. Um, like I said, you want to go to your doctor first, make sure everything's clear. Um, you may want to get an ovulation predictor kit. Okay. Uh, I would recommend. So there's, that's, you know, 20 bucks. I don't know. You can get all that stuff online. Yes. Um, but that's, that's in a nutshell the cost there's also the opportunity uh, depending on where you live of working with a nurse practitioner or a midwife who could come to your home Amazing. and help you with the actual procedure and you can actually do an iui which is an interuterine insemination which is what a doctor would do in their office at home oh. with a appropriately trained midwife so that's awesome here for it so here for it i love that yeah that's great uh, and most of them let you play the Commodores in the background, too. So. <laughs> that, that's good. So uh, that'll cost you, you know, a couple couple hundred bucks, maybe 500 bucks for midwife. Just, again, depends where you are. Uh, if you want to do an IUI, which is an interuterine insemination in a physician's office, that's going to require a couple of office visits, a little bit of monitoring, assuming you're not using any medications because that's where things get expensive. Uh, fertility medications. Okay. Um, that's generally in the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range here in New York. Things are more expensive in New York or New Jersey. When you click up to IVF, oh, so let me just say, so the IUI insemination is basically a, a catheter is inserted up through the cervix all the way into the uterus, and the sperm is deposited at the top of the uterus, right by the fallopian tube. So basically, you're taking that 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 cross country journey the sperm has to do on its own, and you put it on an airplane and you're flying it. Right there to, to, to you know what? my sperm deserve a private motherfucking jet. Okay. So yes. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. So when you do that process, the sperm has to be what we call washed first. And a washed specimen basically takes, you know, a, a semen sample has seminal fluid and lots of different tissues in it and dead sperm and bad sperm. And then it has the good Michael Phelpsy guys. Right. So what we do when we wash sperm is we get all the Michael Phelpsy guys and get them all to one side and we get rid of all the other stuff you don't need. So it's only Michael Phelps that makes it up to the fallopian. Oh, oh only the best for my baby. Only the best for my baby. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I'll exactly. take it too. I'll take that as well. And so the cervix does that naturally. It washes all that stuff away for you. Damn. But when you do the ICI, when you do the insemination at home on your own without the help of a midwife, uh -huh. you need all that extra stuff to kind of fight the battle through the cervix and help Michael Phelps get there. So you want that extra tissue and all that stuff is actually a good thing. And so that would be an unwashed vial of sperm. Okay. So when you're putting the sperm where it needs to get to, ultimately, you need it to be washed. So uh, the, the costs are the same. It just depends on what the procedure is oh, going to be. Okay. When you're going to click up to IVF, Here's the good news. 
In IVF, you only need one vial of sperm. It'll be more than enough sperm. Oh. When you're doing an IUI, we talked about success rates of 15%. Yeah. It's on average going to be about four inseminations per successful pregnancy. So if you're looking at four to $5,000 on average per successful pregnancy. Now, if you go into a medicated cycle, meaning you're going to need to take oral medications or an injection to stimulate your ovaries and try and create an extra egg or two, mm -hmm. if you're a little bit older generally, mm -hmm. um, those can get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars per dose as well. Oh. So that's what you have to discuss with your physician about the best plan of attack. So an IVF procedure where they're going to go in, remove eggs, create embryos in the lab, and transfer them back into the uterus, that has a 60 to 75% success rate. It's good. But- that's going to cost anywhere. This is there's a huge range in IVF. You could go from ten thousand dollars to twenty five thousand dollars, depending that's on what basically I've heard. where you live. That's what I've heard. And the amount of medication you're going to be using, and all those other things. So yes, you could be looking at on average, let's say fifteen thousand dollars. Is oh my god, that's a huge chunk. But chances are, if you're doing IUIs in a doctor's office and buying sperm and going through it and using four or five cycles, your numbers are going to expenses are going to get there almost anyway right and it's going to take you more time and if you're a little bit older you're losing a month per cycle and that's just for your first baby when you do ivf you're going to create all these embryos right and the embryos that you don't use will be frozen and kept on ice you'll have your little popsicles waiting for you well insurance mm -hmm. and if you're say your your uh your beautiful wife taylor is young and and, and fertile now but you're going to take a little time to have this first baby. And when you guys kind of get back to it for baby number two, maybe then she's 33, 34, yeah. 35, yep. and things can turn a little bit. And if you want a third child, then she's going to be 37, 38. So if you freeze those embryos early on when she's 29 years old or however old she is, I don't want to know what age you, Taylor. Yes. Uh, those, those embryos will always be ready to go. And so if you're looking at multiple kids with the same egg source, yes, you're almost better off right out of the gate of looking at IVF to begin with. Like it just the finances, it'll be a bigger chunk up front, but that's really the way to go. Now, I work for California Car Bank and I sell sperm. And so right. my job is to sell sperm, but ultimately our goal is for you and everyone else out there to start your families in the easiest, fastest, most efficient, best way possible. Yes. And if that, if the solution for you is to use one mile of sperm glide. Yeah, that's what we're going to recommend that you do. That's where we want you to go. We don't want you spending, don't spend $10,000 on sperm and, and 11 months of your life. Go right to yep. right time. Damn. I mean, you kind of lost me when you said child number three, Scott. I started to have a panic attack. Well, I was talking to Taylor. I, know she's, <laughs> I was talking to the other Taylor in the background. Yeah, don't tell her that. Shh. Tell her we can only have two max. Come on. Whose side do you want, Scott? This is fascinating. And I am so excited. And I am like beyond grateful to have you guys in our life. And, you know, you've really made this kind of fantasy conversation like really tangible. And I'm starting to kind of, kind of settle in to my future and raising a family and starting a family and, you know, having kids. So I'm, I really, I can't even express um, how much gratitude I have to you, Scott, and to California Cryobank. Really, you guys have been fantastic. So thank you so much. I, I, the one really important thing that we didn't really mention that I think we definitely should okay. is, you know, we talked about a limited number of family units, and that means we collect and distribute a limited number of vials. Okay. And so when you find the donor that you like, yes. it's really important to keep your big plans 
in, in mind. And so if you're having plenty of multiple kids and going through the IUI or at-home procedure, you got to buy those extra vials while they're available. And so we basically store them for free for you. Right. And, and then we buy them back if you end up not needing them. Oh, okay. As long as they haven't left our facility. Right. But it's really important. Sometimes people will call and they'll find that great donor and they'll buy that one vial and they'll ship it out and they won't get pregnant and they call back next month and that guy's either sold out or even worse, they get pregnant and they're so excited and they oh. call us back six months later and we don't have more vials. And so really important to store those vials yep. while they are available. And in your case, you guys have a you know a year or two before you get started. No harm in looking now. If you find a donor that's a great fit for your family, buy those vials. We'll stick them in storage. Okay. You can always keep browsing. And a few months later, a new guy pops onto the catalog who's even better. We can exchange those vials <gasps> for you. No problem. This is but like the best. Get them while you can. Okay. This is not the Nikes or something where there's going to be more on the next truck. Like, right. get it. Limited edition, bitches, right? That's what this is. Limited edition. Exactly, yes. <laughs> this is like Beyonce for Adidas. Like, don't mess around. Get it while it's hot. Okay. Yeah, put a ring on it right away. Like, right? Scott, I love you. I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> um, can we have your sperm? Just kidding. Kind of not. <laughs> uh, you have to talk to my wife. She's the, she's the curator of my sperm. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Scott, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And where can everybody go? I mean, I have a lot of LGBTQ listeners. I also have a lot of women that listen who are single and maybe are looking to have children. And also, same, you know, uh, straight couples who maybe are having uh, fertility issues. So where can people go? Absolutely. Cryobank.com. You can get all your questions answered. Please give us a call. Uh, phone numbers on the website. Uh, I know to everybody going through this process, it seems like the strangest, most awkward thing in the world. And I know a lot of people feel very alone yeah. and unsure about where to go. We've been there. We'll take you there. Just reach out to us and tell us what you need and give us an opportunity to help you. I promise you we will make this process as easy as possible. Oh, then, you know, I mean, it really means the world when you're going through it because it is scary and you don't have the answers and there's, it seems like there's so many options. So just having this conversation and really being able to ask all of my questions, legitimate or completely psychotic, like I have a firm grasp on everything now, you know, so. Well, you're going to have a year from now, you're probably going to have a lot more questions. I'm sure. So let's do it again. I'm sure. Well, thank God for you guys. Scott, I really appreciate you coming on. I like, it's just, it's, it's the best. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. Oh, honey, we'll be in touch. I'm not letting you go. No, 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 no. You guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That is like the greatest gift that you can give to me. It's basically like a virtual tip or a hug or a kiss or whatever. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. We'll be back next week with another great podcast. Until then, bye girl, bye.